So now I'm very upset because I am from Peru and we are playing France. <laughs> I don't know how you expect. There's still hope. It's okay. a break. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't know how you expect me to concentrate. Uh, I'd, I'd like to uh, uh, thank the chairs for the kind invitation, uh, and uh, it, it really is a pleasure to uh, update you on uh, what's been happening over the past year in uh, bile duct cancer. So just a, a very quick single slide introduction. We are dealing with a global problem, but in fact, uh, in, in the UK, where uh, I work and uh, most places in the US, it's quite a low prevalence uh, condition. It accounts for about 3% of GI uh, malignancies. And you can see for cholangiocarcinoma on the left and gallbladder cancer on the right, that there's quite a lot of geographical variation with hotspots, particularly in Southeast Asia uh, and, and specifically Thailand for cholangiocarcinoma and South America, Chile in particular, uh, and northern India for gallbladder cancer. So uh, the remit was to look at the data for the last year, and I want to talk to you about the phase three uh, BCAT study, uh, which was in the adjuvant setting. I'll focus a little bit on uh, treatment of advanced disease, uh, the uh, FUGA-BT study, as well as the BILMEC study, which was looking at the addition of a MEK inhibitor, uh, quickly talk about uh, new promising agents and combinations, and please forgive me ahead of time if I don't focus on your particular uh, trial of interest. Uh, and then uh, close out by uh, talking about new data coming from the International Cancer Genome Consortium, uh, as well as what that means in terms of studies going forward, uh, either looking at single targets or, in fact, uh, um, basket and umbrella studies. So in the adjuvant setting, we know that surgery offers the uh, one and only chance of a long-term cure. And this is the study that was published uh, just uh, a, a few weeks ago, uh, which was the BCAT study, the bile duct cancer adjuvant study uh, performed by a French colleague, uh, sorry, uh, Japanese colleagues. This study was limited to patients with extrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma, that includes perihylid tumors as well as distal uh, cholangiocarcinomas, uh, and treatment was started uh, within 10 weeks uh, post-op. Um, and it was a one-to-one -one randomization. It was a phase three study uh, to either observation alone or to gemcitabine in the standard regimen uh, for uh, six months, uh, six cycles. Patients were stratified by the known prognostic factors of resection margin status, uh, lymph node um, involvement, uh, primary tumor site, and center. And the primary endpoint here was uh, overall survival. Secondary endpoints uh, are as shown. The original uh, target was for 300 patients to be recruited. The study uh, recruited 225 patients, at which time uh, it was closed. And this is the efficacy uh, results in terms of relapse-free survival on the left and overall survival, the primary endpoint, uh, on the right. As you can see, the addition of gemcitabine, the adjuvant setting for these patients, uh, did not confer a survival advantage. Uh, unfortunately, this was a negative study. Moreover, it appeared that no subgroup benefit, particularly uh, node uh, positive uh, or resection margin involved, and this goes a little bit against the, uh, the study that came from uh, Princess Margaret, uh, looking at the retrospective series that suggested that patients with node positive disease are the ones that might benefit from uh, chemotherapy. One point to note, however, is that the survival, uh, the five-year survival of patients in this study was better than anticipated in the original projections, thus 50% versus 30%, and this is a common theme. We've now seen three studies come in the last 18 months in the adjuvant setting, and in all three of them, the survival has been better than anticipated, leading to a prolongation of the time required to complete the studies. So just to put it into context, I've already shown you this. This is the BCAT study. 
The study pre uh, presented at ASCO uh, GI last year was the Prodige 12 study, and this had uh, relapse-free survival as the primary endpoint, and unfortunately this was also a negative study. The addition of GEMOX in the adjuvant setting did not improve relapse-free survival uh, over surveillance. I've actually shown the Kaplan-Meier curve for overall survival. That is in contrast with the study that was presented at Maine ASCO of last year, the BILCAP study, uh, which was the largest of the three studies, uh, which uh, showed a benefit for uh, adjuvant kebcitabine chemotherapy, but only in the pre-planned uh, sensitivity analysis. So in the intention-to-treat analysis, in fact, this failed to uh, reach its primary endpoint, but it had failed to take into account uh, lymph node status. And so when the pre-planned sensitivity analysis uh, was, was done for lymph node status, in fact, uh, there was a 30% reduction in risk of death uh, with a statistically significant p-value of 0.07. And this is just to quickly show you those two Kaplan-Meier curves. Uh, on the left, the intention to treat population. Uh, on the right, the per-protocol analysis uh, with uh, numbers which are very similar. Uh, the uh, patients in the observation arm survived 36.1 uh, months, uh, improving to 52.7 months, which is a difficult uh, delta to ignore uh, when discussing this with a patient. So this is where we're up to in terms of the modern randomized uh, phase three studies. Uh, three are now completed and, and reported. You can see that most of the studies barring the BCAT study, included both cholangio and gallbladder cancers. The BCAT is the only study that specifically focused on extrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma. The last two studies, the ASCOT study, um, was uh, adjusted in terms of uh, sample size. Uh, that was increased from 350 to 440. Uh, that study is about due to um, complete recruitment, uh, I think, around the summer, and that's comparing observation versus uh, S1. And the Actica 1 study, which has been done in Germany, has now been modified uh, to uh, change the control arm from observation to capcitabine, uh, and that's comparing effectively combination chemotherapy versus uh, monotherapy. So I just want to highlight some differences in the study population because although we talk about biliary tract cancer, these are a very heterogeneous group uh, of patients. Uh, and I've just highlighted here, I've already said in the BCAT study, it only looked at hylas and distal cholangiocarcinomas. But the Prodige study uh, was actually very heavy on intrahepatic cholangiocarcinomas. Both the BCAT and the Prodige studies had uh, very similar numbers uh, of patients who had, had uh, uh, negative lymph nodes. Uh, that was much lower in the BILCAP study as shown in red. Similarly, when you look at the resection margin uh, involvement, this was very similar between the BCAT and the Prodige studies and much lower uh, in terms of a clear margin in the BILCAP study. And I've just put here the, the experimental versus the control arm. And what I want you to do is have a quick look at the control arm. When you're comparing across studies, if your control arm is behaving very differently, that's telling you you're dealing with heterogeneous, uh, heterogeneity between the clinical studies. And you can see here the, the uh, overall survival in the control arm is quite different between these three studies. So I think we have to be very cautious about extrapolating the results or comparing them between the studies. And we very much need to take each study in its own merit. What about radiation? This is not new. This hasn't been published in the, in the last uh, year. 
but it's really the direction of travel. So on the basis of uh, this phase two multicenter study, uh, patients were um, treated with, uh, sorry, patients with extrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma, gallbladder cancer, uh, who were considered to be at high risk because of advanced T stage, uh, end stage, or involved margin, uh, received GEMCAP chemotherapy followed by uh, chemoradiotherapy. And the bottom line on the left is that the threshold of activity was met uh, for this to be considered an active regimen. So the next obvious question in the adjuvant setting is where does radiotherapy fit in? Uh, and this is now being considered in terms of uh, study designs. For example, the, uh, the Actica 1 study is now uh, considering inclusion of radiotherapy as a randomized question specifically in patients with uh, R1 disease. Moving on to advanced disease. Um, when the ESMO guidelines look relatively simple, it tells you that there's really not much evidence uh, base uh, on which to, to uh, make treatment decisions. Um, the exception, I guess, to, the, to uh, biliary tract cancer is the fact that we've got a, a standard of care first-line chemotherapy with cisplatin and gemcitabine. And uh, in Japan, this uh, has also been shown to be the case. So the BT22 study was a randomized phase two study uh, that had a survival advantage in favor of combination chemotherapy compared to gemcitabine alone. And in fact, when we meta-analyzed the results between uh, that study and the ABCO2 pivotal study, uh, the median overall survival was uh, 11.6 months. As you know, in Japan, there's an interest uh, with S1 and the JCOG0805 study I'd ask the question whether uh, gemcitabine and S1 was better than S1, which was considered uh, an active agent uh, at the time. And you can see here in this randomized phase two study, uh, the Kaplan-Myers clearly show that there is an improvement from combination chemotherapy uh, versus monotherapy with S1. So it won't surprise you to hear that the next study was uh, looking at gemcitabine and S1. Uh, and within the, uh, the Fuga BT study, uh, the comparison was cisplatin gemcitabine versus gemcitabine and S1. And this was set up as a non-inferiority uh, study rather than a superiority study. The regimens are uh, as shown. And these are the results uh, that were presented at ASCO GI and uh, again at ASCO uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, and you can see here that these curves overlap, which is what you want to see uh, when you're looking for uh, non-inferiority uh, studies. So the hazard ratio and the p-values were uh, within the preset parameters uh, to confirm non-inferiority of gemcitabine and S1. You can see as well that that uh, was consistent across uh, all of the subgroups. Uh, the ones with the widest confidence intervals, in fact, just had very small uh, patient numbers. So these were the author's summaries when presented um, uh, at the meetings. Uh, the primary uh, endpoint was met and non-inferiority was demonstrated. Uh, then there's a, a little bit of a commentary on whether uh, gemcitabine and S1 was better or cisplatin gemcitabine was better. But really, when you look at the differences uh, in, numerically uh, in terms of median PFS, response rate, uh, etc., uh, the numbers uh, are quite small in terms of differences. One of the things that they did feel was that uh, because you don't require the hydration for uh, cisplatin, so you, you don't require the hydration that you need for cisplatin when you're using S1, that it may be a more convenient regimen. And certainly uh, in Japan, I think this offers a new treatment option. Moving on to the randomized phase two uh, BILMEX study, uh, we know that biliary tract cancer frequently demonstrates upregulation in the RAS, RAF, MEC, ERK uh, pathway. This can be targeted, uh, and selumetinib is, is such an oral inhibitor. 
Um, there is uh, preclinical evidence uh, suggesting that this is the right thing to do, and in particular that it needs to be sequenced uh, with gemcitabine. Uh, Tony Bekai Saab at uh, Ohio State University, when he was there, did a, a phase two trial in second line setting, and this demonstrated uh, safety with a 12% response rate. Uh, and and uh, the ABCO4 study, which uh, we led from in the UK, uh, was the phase 1B study of cisplatin gemcitabine in combination with selumetinib, uh, leading to a recommended phase 2 dose. So against that background, the study which has been performed in Princess Margaret in Toronto uh, was a randomized phase 2 study looking at three different arms. The one at the bottom is the control arm. This is cisplatin gemcitabine in the standard schedule. And then you can see in the orange bars, uh, in one arm, the salumetinib was used continuously, and the other one, it was used sequentially or intermittently, uh, guided by some of the preclinical work uh, that they were basing this on. The primary endpoint was the median percent change in measurable disease at uh, 10 weeks. These are the waterfall plots from uh, the study, and you can see, in fact, they look very similar. Uh, and in fact, there was no difference between uh, all of these uh, three uh, waterfall plots. And, and the study didn't show superiority for the addition of salumetinib either uh, concurrently or intermittently. And that was confirmed by the secondary endpoints. Uh, you can see on the left, progression-free survival. On the right, uh, overall survival. And these curves pretty much are, are overlapping. So unfortunately, uh, it looks like salumetinib probably does not enhance the activity of uh, cisplatin gemcitabine. And there is some translational work still being done by the group to see if any uh, additional insights can be gleaned. In terms of other new developments in chemotherapy, acelerin is a, a new kid on the block. It's a first-in-class uh, nucleotide analog. Uh, as uh, you can see, if I can get this to work. Um, okay. So it uh, does not require the nucleoside membrane transporter uh, that gemcitabine does. Uh, and also, it is not metabolized by cytidine deaminase, uh, which um, uh, breaks down gemcitabine. So that allows you to get much more drug uh, to the tumor itself. Um, and the ABC08, the Advanced Biliary Cancer Number 8 study, uh, is in fact a, a phase 1B study of uh, acelerin replacing gemcitabine in combination with cisplatin. Uh, this was a preliminary results presented at uh, ASCO GI as a poster uh, this, uh, this year. Uh, you can see here the caveats are that the numbers are extremely small, and so we're looking at the blue here. Uh, but uh, in terms of uh, one complete response rate, three partial response rates leading to uh, four out of eight patients having a response rate, uh, you know, 50% response rate there. Compare that with ABCO2, which is 26% uh, response rate. It is early days, so we have to apply all the caveats of uh, having an early look at the data. But certainly, uh, this is encouraging. Uh, the study is now completing recruitment, and there is a phase uh, three or registration strategy, which is currently being uh, discussed. Uh, the other development in chemotherapy to keep an eye on is a triple combination of cisplatin gemcitabine and the addition of nabpaclitaxel. Uh, this uh, was initially presented at uh, ASCO last year and uh, updated at ASCO GI this year. So this is using uh, all three drugs in combinations. The schedule is shown. Uh, in fact, there needed to be uh, a modification of the dose because of toxicity uh, with reduction in the uh, nabpaclitaxel. You can see the median progression-free survival was 11.8 uh, months. Uh, the response rate was uh, very similar to cisplatin gemcitabine, but the median overall survival was uh, longer than we saw with cisplatin gemcitabine, so 11.7 months, uh, 18 months uh, in this particular uh, schedule. 
And in the updated analysis, you can see that so far, that level of activity is holding, and this is now going to be uh, tested in a, in a phase three study uh, compared against cisplatin gemcitabine. So moving away from standard chemotherapy, um, the, in terms of uh, understanding the biology of uh, cholangiocarcinoma uh, in particular, uh, a number of groups have over the past years uh, gleaned some insights. And the themes that are emerging are that intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma has, in fact, quite a different profile to extrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma or gallbladder cancer. And just to highlight that point, you can see here, if I can get this to work, um, that with intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma, you're seeing FGFR fusions and amplifications. You see IDH1 uh, mutations, which you don't really see in extrahepatic or gallbladder cancers. So there does seem to be a particular different profile, uh, and not just based on, on anatomy. Other studies have shown that the liver fluke-associated cholangiocarcinoma, which is common in Thailand, uh, has a different profile to non-liver fluke-associated. And Daniela Sia and colleagues uh, have also um, proposed that there may be an inflammatory subclass, which is quite different to a proliferative subclass based on their work. Um, and this is that particular paper in which uh, they were only focusing at, on intrahepatic uh, cholangiocarcinoma, and they were able to demonstrate that really up to 70% of these patients potentially had uh, an actionable mutation, most of them based, again, around IDH1, IDH2, uh, as well as FGFR uh, fusions. And it won't surprise you to hear that then these are the main uh, thrusts of uh, clinical trials going forward uh, as potential targets have uh, been identified. Most recently, this is the paper that's uh, published in October of last year from the ICGC, uh, and uh, this looked at close to 500 patients and undertook uh, genomic, transcriptomic, and epigenetic uh, assessment and was able to cluster patients into four uh, different clusters. And just to quickly take you uh, through the clusters, uh, in cluster number one, these are the um, uh, liver fluke-associated uh, cancers. Um, there was a, a typical uh, hypermethylation uh, pattern, uh, and they were also enriched in TP53, uh, ARID1A, and BRCA mutations. Uh, in cluster two, this was liver fluke as well as non-liver fluke, but they were characterized by uh, uh, increased gene expression of uh, CT and NB1, uh, the WIND pathway and the AKT pathway. And you can see that the other thing that these had in common uh, was um, uh, amplification uh, of, of HER2 as well as increased gene expression in HER2. Cluster three uh, was more of an inflammatory uh, immune-related cluster, and you can see they have the highest uh, copy number uh, aberrations uh, and also upregulation of the immune-related pathways. Uh, and cluster four uh, are the ones that have uh, BAP1, IDH1, and FGFR uh, mutations. And the other thing to note is that, in fact, the extrahepatic cholangiocarcinomas tend to cluster in clusters one and two, intrahepatic uh, cholangiocarcinomas tend to cluster uh, in clusters uh, three and four. The other thing they noticed is that, in fact, in cluster four, uh, patients had uh, a better prognosis. And I can quickly show you the Kaplan-Meier curve from the paper, which is, a, again, a hard paper to read, but a very useful paper. And I would encourage uh, colleagues to look at that. And you can see in the red that cluster four are the ones who uh, have uh, a much better survival than, than the others. So in terms of uh, uh, targeting these emerging mutations, uh, the first one is uh, IDH1. IDH1, in fact, is a mutation not only associated with cholangiocarcinoma, but also uh, chondrosarcoma, glioma, and others. 
there's a phase one study which has included all of those uh, subgroups. And just to show you the data from the cholangiocarcinoma cohort of 73 patients, uh, this was presented at uh, ASCO last year by Maeve Lowry and colleagues. Um, you can see that the drug was actually uh, reasonably well tolerated uh, with only fatigue, nausea, diarrhea, and, and vomiting, which was easily manageable. Uh, the activity in uh, a heavily pretreated setting uh, was a six-month progression-free survival of 38.5%. Uh, About one in five patients were surviving a year, and uh, you may recall that this is a, a poor prognosis group, and, and it was really on the basis of that uh, data that uh, the study has been taken further. The phase three study is currently open. It's recruiting. It's a second-line study, uh, which is randomizing patients two to one to receive AG120, a first-in-class uh, oral inhibitor of a mutant IDH1 or placebo. And what's particularly attractive to patients is that there is crossover upon progression uh, on placebo. And the other group of patients are the FGFR uh, uh, group uh, who, who are uh, mutated. Uh, just to remind you, in terms of the FGFR pathway, there are a number of different aberrations that can, can happen. There can be an activating mutation. There can be translocations, gene amplification, as well as other changes. And the one that's particularly relevant uh, to cholangiocarcinoma, in fact, uh, are the fusions and translocations. The uh, BGJ398 uh, infigratinib uh, uh, phase two trial uh, has already uh, reported and published in uh, Journal of Clinical Oncology. Uh, in this particular study, patients with advanced or metastatic cholangiocarcinoma who were harboring an FGFR2 fusion or another genetic aberration in FGFR were uh, included. Uh, they had to have had a prior therapy and progressed on that, and they received uh, oral therapy for uh, days 1 to 21 of a 28-day cycle. The primary endpoint was response rate uh, by resist. The secondary endpoints are as shown. 47 patients were treated, and as you can see, the vast majority of the patients had FGFR2 fusions and rearrangements in 38 patients. There were some other uh, alterations in nine patients, uh, FGFR2 mutations, FGFR2 amplifications, and, and two patients had FGFR3 amplifications. This is the water floral plot uh, from that particular study, um, and uh, what was particularly noteworthy is that all of the eight patients who had a partial response, in fact, had an FGFR2 uh, uh, fusion uh, rearrangement. And I, I've not shown it in the interest of time, but uh, colleagues at, um, uh, at um, Mass General uh, have been looking at the patterns of uh, resistance to FGFR therapy, uh, and it may be that uh, there is also a difference among some of the uh, FGFR inhibitors in that some uh, may be more likely uh, to, um, uh, to salvage uh, patients who develop uh, resistance to one uh, uh, targeted agent. Um, so those two uh, approaches are very much looking at a single uh, target and, and having a trial that treats that. In fact, the Moscato study uh, is uh, an, an umbrella study which uh, has uh, 1,035 patients who have had at least one prior systemic treatment. This is a study from a team in France. Uh, and in fact, through multiple high-throughput molecular analysis, uh, they then allocate a treatment to patients depending on the readout. Now, out of the 1,000 patients, there were 42, 43 with biliary tract cancer, of whom 34 had evaluable tissue, of whom 23 had a druggable alteration, and in fact, 18 went on to treatment. And you can see here that, in fact, uh, of the 18 patients who were treated, uh, the ones uh, in blue are the ones who appeared to benefit from treatment, and these are largely uh, HER2, HER3, and FGFR uh, mutations. 
And I think the take-home message here is that if you give a, a, a treatment uh, on target, uh, the, the survival is better than if you uh, are unable to give a, a targeted therapy. Yeah, so clearly, one more minute. Thank you. So this is the way, in fact, that uh, clinical trials are now going uh, in the future, and we have a similar study uh, being planned. There are a number of different agents, uh, and in fact, all of those are, are currently being uh, evaluated in a number of different studies. So, take-home messages. The phase 3 BCAT study showed there was no benefit from adjuvant uh, gemcitabine, so we still go back to uh, capecitabine. The FUGA-BT study showed that gem and S1 was a new option in Japanese patients. The, the BILMEC study showed no benefit from adding selumetinib to cisgem. There are some new agents, uh, as I've discussed, and promising combinations, uh, and our improved understanding of the landscape and the ability to um, uh, enroll patients into these uh, much more complex studies uh, actually uh, shape up for some exciting times ahead uh, for cholangiocarcinoma. And just to quickly primarily thank uh, the patient advocacy groups who have done a huge amount, uh, both in the UK and in the US, to engage the clinicians, but also industry and uh, regulatory agencies. Thank you very much.